What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Tell I Can Tell Yes podcast. Your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this jam-packed week two recap show of Tuesday, September the 20th, the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this program as we uh, as we are in the second to last month of uh, September. Uh, I will, of course, top, touch on the two uh, collapses and comebacks that occurred in the National Football League. The Raiders collapsing, the Cardinals comeback out in Vegas, the Ravens collapsing, the Dolphins comeback here in Baltimore. Week 2 weekend, I'll get to the Bucks and Saints, the Jets and Browns, which had a thrilling finish up in Cleveland. The uh, Colts are maybe the only team in the AFC that had expectations on it that may be worse than the Bengals outside the Tennessee Titans, which we'll get to as well, along with their uh, opponent from Monday night in the Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll get to uh, as well and also preview this week's uh, Thursday night football game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. Well, if you ask yourself... Why isn't your favorite, at least I hope to be, your favorite sports talk personality, why isn't he as as peppy and as full of life as he usually is? And that's because, ladies and gentlemen, I am I, I, I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset. And for those of you that have listened to the show for a good portion of time, and those of you that may that maybe know me, you know personally away from the show, you know why I'm upset. I'm upset because my Cincinnati Bengals are 0-2 to begin the 2022 NFL season. 0 and two. Two games, two losses, zero wins. And the reason why I am so bothered by it is not just on paper that they're owing to, that you look at that you look at the uh, standings and you see the Cincinnati Bengals are in last place and they don't have a win. It's not just that. It's the way they are 0-2. If they were 0-2 because the first two games on their schedule were, say, the Buffalo, I'll pick two two teams on which that's on their schedule this year. If they play, if they were 0-2 because they had to open up because they had to open up the season against Buffalo, and then the second game they had to face Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Or the second game they had to face Patrick Mahomes, you know that would I'd be upset, I'd be I'd be bothered by it, but if they lost to the Bills thirty one twenty eight and then lost to Kansas City, uh twenty one seventeen, would it be the end of the world? No. Would I be a little concerned? Yes. But you play two Super Bowl contenders out the gate. Rough way to begin the schedule. It is what it is. You play competitive. You're in the game. You know you have a clue, but a couple of call, whether it's a couple of calls don't go your way, or the your opponent that you're playing is really that good. You know that'd be a different story. 
But when it comes to the way that these Cincinnati Bengals have played so far this season, I only wish I could say that was the case. Because my Cincinnati Bengals, ladies and gentlemen, in the 2021-2022 season have been offensive to watch play. They've been offensive. They have lacked they have lacked many of intangibles and many of qualities that make a team that I predicted to go back to the Super Bowl and repeat as AFC champions and to become Super Bowl 57 champions. They lack continuity. They lacked they lack chemistry amongst the offensive line. They lack excitement for the for three quarters watching them play is a complete and utter snooze fest. They're lethargic. They're not prepared. And they are not 120% disciplined and buckled up. They're not. They're not. And you can sit up here and say, Jai, it's only week two. What are you doing? Your team made it to the Super Bowl last year, one of the worst uh, beleaguered teams in, in all of the NFL. You made it to the Super Bowl last year. What are you hooting and hollering about? You know, give Zach Taylor a break. This, that, and the other. Period. I and let me and let me be crystal clear to you guys out there listening. Okay, it is September twentieth of two thousand and twenty-two. The season in two days' time will be three weeks. Will be two going on three weeks old. Third week of the season. Or excuse me, yes, third week of the season, two weeks old. At this particular moment in time, I do not give a damn in the moment right here, right now, about what they did last season. I am not interested. It is irrelevant. It, it, it means absolutely nothing to the to to the to what the hell I'm watching on a week in week out basis from this football team in the last two weeks. It is irrelevant. I could care less. I could care less about any regular season that they won last year. I could care less about. I could care less about the fact that they were seven and six backs up against the wall. Made some, I could care less. I could care less about the playoff run, take beating the Raiders, beating the Titans by field goal, and the comeback against Kansas City. I could care less. It is over. It is done with. I could surely give a damn about the Super Bowl. I am not interested. Okay, what happened February and January of this calendar year last season? It, it it is it is it is a distant memory, as it should be for every single person wearing a Cincinnati Bengals uh, uniform. That's a that's a part of the fifty three man roster and a part of the coaching staff. What happened in January and February this calendar year, and and the events that happened prior to that of last season is a distant memory. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. The Rams won the Super Bowl. The Bengals did not. 
And although you do get a trophy for going to the Super Bowl, you don't get one. You don't get one for losing one. You get one for winning one. Showing up and just being quote unquote happy to be here. I don't know about y'all, but that doesn't cut it for me and all the other Bengals fans out there. This roster on paper. It's too talented. It's too damn good. We have too much star power and firepower on offense. Along with the defensive side of the ball too. At certain positions. To be this damn bad in the first two weeks of the regular season. There is no excuse for this. And whether you want to like it. Accept it. Hate it. Lump it. I don't care. This pathetic Disgusting, offensive, a sieve 0-2 start from this football team falls on one person and one person only. There's others to blame, but the headship, the person that the main culprit, the main person that 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 deserves to that, that deserves to have their feet held to the fire. Because of this pathetic 0-2 start, there is one person, and that is the head coach. It is not on ownership. It is not on the front office. Mike Brown has gone out there, and he's put his money where his mouth is. He's building his team an indoor practice practice facility. He sold the naming rights to the stadium to make sure they have more money in their pocket for them to pay Joe Burrow, among their other uh, star players on, on the team, offense and defensive side of the ball. Okay, the 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 GM has gone out there and he, and they and he's drafted the players that they feel are in the best positions that that will put the put this team in the best position to win a championship. They went out there and signed millions upon millions of dollars worth revamping the offensive line from the left guard to the right tackle. Okay, the only lineman that is there from the from the lineman from the Super Bowl. Uh, seven months ago, it's Jonah Williams' left tackle. That is it. From the right of Jonah Williams on down, new players on the team. And these weren't scrubs, at least when we got them. Somehow, some way, they've they've either the clock has struck at midnight, or they've or they've they've turned into a pumpkin. I don't know, whatever the hell. They may. They looks like they. For now, they stink. But when we got them, these guys were, were were not slouches. Okay, you got Lyle Collins, who was who was who who was one of the best offensive uh, tackles in all of football. Who the Cowboys uh, underestimated uh, them losing during training camp this the, uh, this past August. Okay, and then you drafted two guys, Ted Carras, and then uh, Ted Carras, and then you have um. The hell's the other guy's name? I forget. But you got the two offensive linemen, both whom who have blocked for Brady at separate times. One from one from Tampa, one from New England. What I had Ryan Jensen too had not TB12 came out of retirement. So don't blame it on on don't do not blame it on the GM. Don't go there. It is not the GM's fault that the team has never held a lead in the first two games of the season. They're the only team in the sport. Not the, it's not the Colts. It's not 
the it's not the Jets, it's not the Browns, it's not the Falcons, it's not the Panthers. They're the only team in football through the first two games of the season to have never held a lead. That is not on Mike Brown. That is not on the Bengals GM and the and the Blackburns and all of them up in the front office. That falls on one person and one person only. And that is Zach Taylor, the head coach of this football team. It does not fall on Duke Tobin. It falls on Zach Taylor. It does not fall on Mike Brown. It falls on Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor, through the first two games of this season, his teams have been flat. His teams have been lethargic. His teams have been boring. His teams have been not ready to play, unprepared. His coaching job has been the the the, the, the he has he's left his team unprepared. He's get he's he got co he how in God's name do you get out coached in circles by Mike McCarthy in 2022. How is that? We said Nathaniel Hackett last week with Pete Carroll. How in 2022, if you're Zach Taylor getting out coached in circles by Mike McCarthy? Can somebody explain that to me, please? Can somebody explain? Can somebody explain? Can somebody explain to me why the Bengals, through the first two Games of the season, Joe Joe Burrow's been sacked uh, thirteen times. Seven in week one, six in week two. Two games, he's been sacked thirteen times. At the rate that Joe Burrow is getting sacked at this point, he will get sacked well over a hundred times this season if it keeps if it doesn't stop at the rate that it's going right now. If you if you don't cut the crap, you'll be right back where you were November of 2020 at FedEx Field. If you don't stop with your bull jive, pull your head out of your asses and find a way to win some damn football games. Enough is enough. The fan base that talked a lot of junk, talked a lot of trash Counting on the fact you all would back us up once the season started. We talked a lot of trash. We defended y'all ad infinitum, whether it's at barbecues, in the barbershop, beauty parlor, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, you name it. We've invested financially in the team, whether it's the Cincinnatians with the season tickets, whether it's buying the merchandise, I mean, we 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 we're not going back to where we were. We're not going back. Our standards are have raised. Our expectations have also raised. We're not going back to the pre Joe Burrow, Andy Dalton slash Marvin Lewis era Cincinnati Bengals. We're not going back there anymore. We're not. The past is the past. The future slash the current, the present, we expect it to be better than this. 
better than 0-2, losing two games to two teams with piss-poor offensive offensive offenses with garbage offensive lines with backup quarterbacks to boot. The Bengals did not. The Bengals are not coming off of two losses to the night. They are not coming off of two losses to Roger to a Roger Staubach led Cowboy team with Drew Pearson on it with Tony Dorsett in the backfield, and then Week One coming losing to Pittsburgh with Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, and and John Stallworth that wide receiver with me Joe with Mean Joe Green, uh, uh, Thaddy Holmes, Dwayne Wade with Jack Lambert in the middle and L.C. Green and all those guys that made up the skill curtain that somehow, some way these guys couldn't find a way to score until somehow, some way in the second half. Enough's enough. Do I have to quote what Marvin Lewis said during... Whatever hard knocks that was, it's your Zach to you. It's this is your football team. Find a way to fix it. You guys have been pathetic the last two weeks of the season. Pathetic and embarrassing to watch. You guys sleepwalk through the first three quarters of the game, and all of a sudden, somehow, some way, either it's because you guys are you guys find miracles and move mountains that keep yourselves in the game, or the ineptitude of your of your opponent, whichever the two or the combination between the two, this, that, and the other. Then all of a sudden, the fourth quarter comes around. It's here I come to save the day, and then the high-end talent bears you out. And all of a sudden, it's a ball game again late in the fourth quarter. You cannot get to Super Bowls and win Super Bowls playing from behind all the time. You guys can't win Super Bowls going going into the fourth quarter to put the ball in the end zone. I mean, just the lack of preparation is just maddening. Did you guys not have a game plan? You guys, ju- let me get this straight. You guys had a. You guys. Just lost the Super Bowl. You guys saw the tape. You guys saw the tape where if Joe Burrow had two and a half extra seconds of protection, we're probably Super Bowl champions at this moment in time from last year. So you just played a Super Bowl and lost it in a heartbreaking fashion at the hands of one dominant pass rusher in Aaron Donald. You just lost the first game of the season because... The AFC's version of Aaron Donald did nothing but kick your ass and take names. You're coming off of two losses where you have allowed the dynamic, explosive interior pass rusher, or excuse me, exterior pass rusher to take over these games. Aaron Donald... T.J. Watt, and now Micah Persons. You somehow, someway, how in God's name do you allow Micah Persons to rush unblocked, unchecked, 
untouched. How do you allow that to happen? How? I tell you how. Piss poor game planning and preparation. That strictly falls on the damn head coach. Not ownership, not the GM. That is head coach. That's what he's getting paid to do. I don't know what the hell he's doing Monday through Saturday, but it damn sure ain't coming up with no offensive game plan to stop these dynamic pass rushers from eating your quarterback alive. It's enough. It's enough. With the vanilla offense, the predictable play calling, Lining up under center every single time you turn around and, and barely throwing the football out of those formations. Or also, if, you, if you're, you're lining up shotgun, empty formation on first and second down. Basically, you might you might as well write that you might as well put it up on a big jumbotron and tell your opponents, "Hey guys, we're throwing the football." If it's empty set formation, third third down, third and long, third and seven, third and nine, third and twelve, that's one thing, obviously. But second and eight, second and ten, empty set formation, you're letting everybody in the whole stadium know that you're throwing the football. I mean, your game, your your play calling, Zach, can't get more predictable than that. Where the ball is just in Joe's hands constantly. 35, 45, 50 times a game. Where's the balance? Take the pressure off of them. Take the pressure off the offensive line. Give the ball to Mixon. Have a drill, bro. Drop back the pass thirty-six times compared to compared to, to compared to running it twenty-two times. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. I mean, didn't we discuss last week the formations that we saw the Bucks line up in with the jumbo formations using the extra tight ends and, and some pull plays that Brady brought from New England to take Micah out of the game? Where was that on set on Sunday? I didn't see any of it. Not one time. They used Mixon and Pirine a couple times to do the Len Fournette thing I said and chip block them. But they should have started out the game doing that. They didn't start they didn't start pulling out the chip block card until they absolutely positively had to, and they should have been doing it right from the get-go.
gotta get it together. You you guys have have got to get it together because there is zero excuse why you guys should be owing to to these subpar inferior football teams that are very flawed. You're not losing games to Roger Staubach and Terry Bradshaw. You're losing games to Cooper Bleepin' Rush and Mitch Trubisky with piss-poor offensive lines. The only chance they have of winning of winning football games is a la the Super Bowl allowing their superstar pass rusher to eat up your quarterback for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and somehow, some way, the one key the one key and lone opportunity and chance that these opponents have of beating you, you let them work that one solo game plan out the pass. Among the fact that the defense, this quote-unquote elite defense that we have, somehow, someway allowed Cooper Rush and the Cowboys to march down the field twice on back-to-back drives, 12 plays 75 yards, and then 6 plays 75 yards and put up two touchdowns. Elite defense? What? Elite defense? That's Cooper Rush! Elite defense. Then they hold him silent the entire second half, and then somehow, some way, six plays, thirty-three yards, take off, fifty-seven seconds, and they allow Cooper Rush to march down the field like it's nobody's business to put the Cowboys in field goal range. I mean, you must be kidding me. First and ten, eight-yard gain. Second and two, get the two yards. First and ten, another ten yard. I mean, what? The, why? Why? Why is it that Dax, that I can count on one hand how many defensive snaps Dax Hill has gotten in the first two games of the season? Especially when I go ahead and see Eli Apple getting, getting burnt the same way he did in the Super Bowl. Why Why am I still looking at Eli Apple on my television screen? Why am I still watching him on my team? Why is he still in the Bengals uniform? Why is he still employed by the Cincinnati Bengals? Why is he still on the roster? Jesse Bates is back. Have Dax Hill take Eli's position and kick him the hell out of town. Wow, this Noah Brown kid look like the second coming of Drew Pearson, Michael Irvin reincarnated. It's a joke. And how about Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, taking some hits? How much longer is he going to be able to have his job being, being the offensive line coach from these two offensive offensive lines? How how long of a leash is Zach going to give him? Till you lose Burl for the season again? How long? 
At some point, it's got to be on him. That's his room. That's his quote-unquote glass-eaten group of men. His offensive line is stunk. Ain't on him to make sure that there's cohesion, that there's chemistry, that there's no communication breakdowns. I understand, you know, bro, what the appendectomy, but what this bro, I understand the, and the importance that it has, but it's still no excuse. What is bro gotta be gotta be gotta be the savior for everything with this franchise? Why can't they figure it out for themselves? You need Joe Burrow to make sure that that, that that the center, the captain of the offensive line, makes sure and knows that everybody's blocking assignments. Make sure not to double up on two defensive linemen while Michael Parsons comes in screaming and goes by untouched. Let's put up a shut up time for Frank too. Because your offensive line has been garbage. In the first two games, also during back the last season. It's been trash. Ain't gonna tank your season and kill Burn the process if you don't cut the crap. And instead of Zach Taylor. Moaning and groaning and belly aching over the over the dopey punt that hit the scoreboard that the refs didn't have it re-kicked. How about Zach Taylor look himself in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm the head coach. I'm the boss. I'm the man in charge. I gotta pull my head out of my ass, open up the playbook, stop being so vanilla, light a light a spark underneath my football team, finally put some points on the board, and win some damn football games. What have they done? Honestly. What have they done? Forget the Super Again, I could care less about the Super Bowl, what happened in January and last season. I am not interested. What have they done in the 2022 season that is that has warned given them the benefit of the doubt that honestly makes me a diehard Bengals fan for 50 years to believe they're gonna walk into MetLife Stadium and not get the Mike White treatment again by Joe Flacco in 2022? What have they done to believe to make me to believe otherwise? Nothing. And your schedule only gets worse from here. You guys had two big juicy opportunities to go 2-0 at worst 1-1. And you squandered them in back-to-back weeks. Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Ladies and gentlemen, for the time being, for now, the Bungles have returned. Back after this.
so self-conscious. She has no idea what she's doing in college. The major that she majored in don't make no money, but she won't drop out her parents to look at her funny. Now, tell me that ain't insecure. The concept of school seems so Welcome back to the Yamataka um, TIS podcast. Another thing about Burrow, too, and as you guys know, I love him. He is the, uh, I love him as a person. I love him as a quarterback. I love the swag that he brings, the attitude that he's brought to the Cincinnati franchise and how he's basically taken over the franchise and revamped it and rechanged it uh, or changed it and revamped it from the ground up. But he also has got to take a look. He's got to take some hits for this offensive ineptitude, too. You know, I, and I, listen, I get it. I get it, and I understand that the offensive line, whether they're a work in progress or th- or these guys aren't as good as I thought as uh, we all thought that they were, I think it's uh, I think it's the uh, option option A door A piss poor coaching and just them thinking that you can just jump in regular season football going up against T.J. Watt and Micah Parsons and and, and basically expect to be. You know, expect to be the uh, the hogs of the tooth of the tooth. Uh, you know, of those '90s Washington Redskins teams. I mean, so I I think that's the I think that's the uh, the reason for the Bengals' bad offensive line play. Not not particularly or really because I think that they're bad. I just think piss poor coaching and just lack of just leadership at this moment in time for them. But he's also got to take some hits too. You know, Joe, I, and I'm, and I, and I think this. You know, he was quoted. I, I, he was quoted a, like about a year or so ago. Quoted of saying, "Well, I don't mind getting hit. I like being hit." Now he may say that because it, like, it, because especially in this day and age of of uh, NFL football, where the quarterbacks are protected, you can barely touch them. So maybe, uh, maybe him getting hit kind of you know takes him back to how he. Grew up seeing foot, seeing football as, and seeing you know the position being played by ass. You know maybe he you know when growing up as a kid, he's only six years old. He's only six years older than me, so him seeing the hits of of those defensive play, you know Sean Merriman and and Michael Strahan and and, uh, and James Ferrier and James Harrison and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Troy. I mean, maybe he likes seeing seeing tapes of those guys flying around and absolutely, you know, just jumping on and destroying Tom Brady. You go back and you look at any uh, any of specifically Tom Brady's old games from the early from the early mid two thousands. Seeing him just get the game, I always think about Super Bowl forty two when he just got his where he just got pounded and pounded and pounded into the grass every single time he was getting hit. And just give so maybe that's a part of the game that he likes because it's a because it's like like a psychological nostalgic thing for him growing up as a football fan and also feeling you know he likes having having his jersey dirty or whatever or doesn't feel like that he's truly you know uh played unless he puts his body at risk one time or another throughout the period of a game and you even see that with him scrambling and running like he's done the last few games but I don't know. He's but my main point is he's also part of the problem with these thirteen sacks in the two games as well. You know, it's one thing when you're not prepared and the communication is terrible, and you allow T.J. Watt 
and uh, and Micah Parsons off the snap to 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 rush you unblocked, and you basically got one second to throw the football, and all of a sudden they're fitting, you know, they're they're breathing down your neck, ready to take you down, or or your or your coach <clears throat> Zach Taylor's calling up asinine formations, having uh, tight ends block defense block uh, defensive edge rushers, so. Uh, so, so I get so when it's when it's piss poor coaching, game planning on top of the bad offensive line play. That's you know where it's one second and that's all you have to throw the football. That's one thing, but the sacks where the offensive line does their job for about a good two for a good three seconds and Joe Burrow is just with the ball in, with the ball in his hand. Is just going, is just, you know, slapping it, just dancing around, looking all over the place, standing in the pocket, uh, running around in circles without really rolling to his left or rolling to his right or stepping up trying to run. When plays like that, where he's just holding on to the football, either he doesn't want to throw it downfield because he doesn't want to either want to A, risk throwing an interception, or B, he or B, he wants to extend the play and see if there's a break in coverage to see if you know Higgins or Chase or whoever would 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 somehow uh, find some separation. He's just holding on to the football. He's holding on to the football, scrambling in circles while still being in the pocket, not rolling, not rolling to his right, not stepping up and deciding to to, to uh, stepping up in the pocket to avoid the pressure, or stepping up in the pocket, and which he has done at, at a few times, but at this stage in the game, I don't think not enough, and and they've been and they hasn't come at the appropriate time for him to do it. Step up in the pocket to avoid the sack. Instead, he run. He either stands in the pocket whilst collapsing around him, or he essentially scrambles around in the pocket. Really, never breaks free again. Done roll out to his right, and five, four, you know, four, four and a half, five, six seconds go by, and all of a sudden, you know, a, a, a defensive lineman, or or in, or in the last two weeks' case, Watt, or in Parsons' case, they break free from their block. And they either get a handout to snap to, to swat the football out of Burrow's arm, or or they get or they get a hand on him along with another teammate and they drag him down to the ground. Those sacks are on him. I'm sorry. Those sacks are on him. We sit up here and we talk about well, he's got that it factor and he's got that swagger that I'm a rip your heart out type attitude that never count me out. I took it personally mentality that Tom Brady has. Well, well, look, I I get where the media and I don't and I haven't been the one that's really gone that route when it comes to praising Burrow. But for those of you that that go that route, his pocket presence isn't very Brady esque. You know, again, it's one thing if it's drop back to pass. If it's drop back to pass one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and any and you know, and one one and a half, two Mississippi, and it gets sacked. It's another thing where he's got three, four, five, six seconds to throw the ball, and the ball is still his hand. It's still in his hands. Eventually, the pocket's going to collapse around you if you don't either get the ball out of your hands and throw it away, dump it off to the running back or the top or the tight or the tight end down low, or Roll to your right and try to avoid it that way. If you want to buy, if you want to buy yourself some more time that way. So basically, and and also when you do that, you also get the defensive lineman and the pass rush to chase you while trying to disengage from the block from your offensive lineman. Though when those sacks happen, those strictly fall on him. 
not not the not the coverage, not the not not the blocking scheme, the lineman. No, that falls on him. Cause like Joe, you're holding the ball for three, four, five, six seconds. I mean, at some point, if the play's not there, why risk getting sacked? Why risk getting hit? Why risk getting injured? Why risk fumbling? Save yourself the pain, the agony, and the waste of yards. And chuck the. I don't give a damn if you gotta chuck the ball five five rows deep on the on the sidelines. If the play is not there and you've had ample time to make up your mind, get rid of the damn football. Just play is not there. Fine, eat it, and make sure you're out of the pocket. Find a receiver near some area, whatever, and 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 chuck it out of play. Because these, you know, holding on to the football for 30 years, waiting for Jamar Chase to break open after a corner uh, route that he ran didn't go was didn't go his way five minutes after you called it in the huddle. Is that's, that that's got to stop? It's got to stop. Because you're doing your struggling offensive line no favors, holding on to the football for 50 years, trying to find an open receiver. If the play's not there, get rid of it. Roll to your right, step up in the pocket, tuck it, and run, slide more. Or if it's not there, you don't want to throw an INT, or it's taking too long, you feel like the pocket's collapsing around you, get rid of it and throw the ball out of bounds. That 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 falls on him. Because there have been many a times, and even dating back to last season as well, but there have been many a times where Joe Burrow's pocket presence, or lack thereof, it it it, it has not been a pretty sight, and he does and he does himself no favors holding on to the football for five, you know for 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 long periods of time during an active play. One of the reasons why Brady has been so great, and one of the reasons why he puts up the numbers that he does, and why he's still playing at forty-five years of age. Is that regardless of what is uh, regardless of of who's on his offensive line and what his offensive line is, it's one Mississippi, two Mississippi, bam, it's jo- it's set as a hut, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, balls out of his hand, and and probably even at a faster rate than me saying one two Mississippi, it's it's snap one two bam, snap one two bam, snap one two bam. Balls out of his hands. Not snap. One, two, three, four, five, six. Because then eventually, and if you and if you're on a team like Brady has been, like Brady uh, with this year, uh, heading into this year and Burrow last few seasons, once you get after three, eventually, you know, it, you, you know, they're going, they're going to go. They're gonna go and they're gonna hunt. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. And another thing you say, well, Jai, why are you so why are you so pessimistic? It's only week two, this, that, and the other. You're a fool for kicking and screaming. I read you this stat. Only nine less than ten percent. Nine and only nine and a half percent of teams that start 0-2 have made the playoffs. The last team that was able to start that started 0-2 and pulled it off 
were in, was 2018, four years ago. And that was when the Texans and the Seahawks started 0-2, both won 10-plus games and made the playoffs. And only 14% of teams that start 0-2 even finish with a winning record. And furthermore, there have only been three teams, three teams in the last 30 years. So you do the math on that. Three teams in the last 30 years that have started the season 0-2 and have won the Super Bowl. You want me to read you the teams? I will be very happy to do so. The three teams are the 93 Cowboys, the 2001 Patriots, and the most recent one, the 2007 Giants. 15 years ago. On top of the fact that teams that lose Super Bowl, discounting the 2017 going into 18 New England Patriots, teams that lose Super Bowl, neither they don't make it back, they don't, hell, they don't even win it the next season. Now, my prediction isn't changing. Because by some why because watch me for two accounts. One, I don't believe in changing predictions during the season. Two, I would feel like an absolute idiot changing a prediction, and all of a sudden, you know, they go they they end the season fourteen and three, and they go and they somehow sway go back to the Super Bowl and win the whole thing. And I'm not gonna oh look at and. And here we all look, this guy gave up on his team. He changed the Super Bowl pick, and now look at him. You're a fake fan of any No. Don't get me wrong. From a fan's perspective, the goal and the uh what's the word I'm looking for? The um the expectation is still the same. Go back, win the division, go back to the Super Bowl, and win the whole damn thing this time. But as of right now, I would be it would be disingenuous for me to say that I would feel good about the fact that my I would feel good about my Bengals going A making the playoffs, B going back to the Super Bowl and C winning it at 0-2. When the numbers specifically state that teams that start 0-2 don't have a uh, their chances of going of going to the playoffs and uh, is is it does not rule in their favor. In my humble opinion, their season, I, I sixty forty of me says it's done. But if they lose to the Jets, that's the coup de gras. Unless they pull. Some black magic, never before seen miracle crap, 0-3, and then somehow, some way, turn on the light bulb and don't lose another game until next season. And they go on a, a, a ridiculous record-breaking winning streak. With that happening with the rough schedule they have in the back end of the season, it would be a lot to ask. They lose 0 3. You can they lose to the Jets next week. You can forget it. But anyway, I digress. 
What I want to discuss is the Miami Dolphins and the fact that the Miami Dolphins somehow, someway, after Lamar Jackson put on an absolute clinic, a clinic in Baltimore in the Ravens' home opener on Sunday, put on a clinic in which the Ravens on their, in which the Ravens on one, two, three consecutive possessions scored a touchdown on top of Devin Duvernay's 103-yard kick return to begin the game on on the game's opening kickoff. Lamar Jackson had an absolute field day. Only eight incompletions, 21 for 29, 318 passing yards, three touchdown passes. While also running for a touchdown, nine carries, a buck 19. Had an absolutely sensational performance. Yet sadly, thanks to the Ravens defense, somehow, someway, giving up, giving up 35 damn points in the second half. And giving up 28 of those 35 points in the fourth quarter. And the Ravens getting outscored. Uh, getting outscored 35 to 10 in the second half and 28 to three in the fourth quarter. Tua had the better day, in in which resulted in a Dolphins victory and them being two and zero heading into the Bills game. Tua 36 of 50, 469 passing yards, six touchdowns, two interceptions, an absolute machine behind center. His best game he's ever pro- he's ever played as a pro thus far. And then how about you t- the drafting Jalen Waddle and then trading uh, for Tyree Kill? I mean, good lord, the both this is the both of them. I'll read your hills first. 111 receiving yards, or excuse me, 111, or excuse me, let me pace myself. 11 receptions, 190 receiving yards, two touchdown catches. Waddle, 11, rece- 11 receptions, 171 and two touchdown catches. So if you do the math, 190 plus 171 between the two of them alone. We're not talking, we're not even the talking Raheem Mozart out of the backfield or Mike Gusecki, the tight end, who had a nice afternoon. Just between Hill and Waddle alone, they accounted for 361 of Tua's 469 passing yards and combined scored four touchdowns. I mean, you want to talk about, uh, you want to talk about a pair of, of wide receivers that if they get uh, what that if as long as they get the ball in their hands, they could keep the de- opposing defensive coordinators up at night and set opposing defenses on fire. I mean, my gosh, how great were they on Sunday afternoon? They was it's just catch the ball and it's just take off and run. It is it it is catch. It is it it is it's go routes. It slants. It's drags. Get the ball in the hand and then just take off. It's it's, 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 a, it's a track meet, an utter track meet. I mean, it was it, from as a football fan, 
watching, you know, neutral with no dog in a fight. It was an absolute remarkable and exciting game to watch. Especially considering when the Dolphins offense was stagnant in the first half, went into halftime with a 28 to uh, it went into halftime with a 28 to 7 deficit. I mean, let's uh, let, let's put that into perspective. They were down 28 to 7. Heading into halftime. 28-7. Miami on their first half possessions. Let me tell you how they went. It went. It was it, offensively for Miami. Interception. Touchdown. Punt. Interception. And then kneel down. Or well, one little play and then run to the end. But they scored one touchdown in the first half. But it was interception, first offensive drive, take away the touchdown, punt, and then another interception from Tua. And then they sat on it on their last possession, the final 30 seconds took it to halftime. They, they punted once, punted once, and Tua threw two interceptions down 28-7. And and it and Tua doesn't let it bother him. He didn't let it bother him. He didn't let it. He did, he did not let it stop him. He didn't let it phase his game. He got up, brushed the door off his shoulders, say, "Listen, two halves, two games. We limp the turnovers, and our defense does its job. Shuts down Lamar Jackson, keeps us in this game. We got a chance. And somehow, some way, the Dolphins out of nowhere." Came from behind to win this football game, and I'll and I and the and the point that I want to make with the Ravens specifically is a couple things I want to say with them with their collapse. First off, I've said this and I've had this belief for the longest time. The problem that lied with the Ravens was not Wink Martindale. It was not the de- it was not their defense. It was two things. Harbaugh, overly aggressive going for every fourth down a two point conversion. He sat his eyes on a la Brandon Staley. And it was their offense. Fizzling out, flaming out, and piss poor offensive uh play calling. From the OC Greg Roman, who somehow, some way, is still employed by the team. That's what their eight and nine record came down to, among with injuries. But nobody's to blame for the injuries. You you know you can't blame a player, blame a coach for injuries. You can for bad play. So. And I say all that to say this, you know, why in the world? And I knew, and I knew that this play was damned from the beginning. Why in the world did the Ravens decide up thirty-five twenty-eight, thirty-five twenty twenty-one? Excuse me, up thirty-five twenty-one. Why in the world did the Ravens go for it at their own 40-yard line?
I understand your defense was on the field. You get drift down the field, 75 yards, seven plays. But you didn't get the fourth and goal at the beginning of the game. Your first true, your first true offense possession of the game early in the first quarter. Fourth and one, it's your own 40-yard line. Dolphins starting to get a little bit of momentum, having scored off of their previous offensive drive. Fourth and one, and you call, and and you called a a a, a, a run play out of the shotgun on fourth and one at your own forty, with nine sixteen to go in the fourth quarter. Really, I understand the fourth and short philosophy. You know, fourth and short, and we can't get this. You know, and the whole thing with the uh, with the Chiefs last September on that Sunday night. You know, when Marlon Murray went, but that ha- but th- that was a different set of circumstances. The the Ravens weren't playing the, uh, the Ravens. It was a tightly it was a tightly contested game. That was the game the Ravens had to have for their morale for the good of the team. It was a different set of circumstances. Also, it was much much later in the fourth quarter than nine sixteen in the fourth was on Sunday. Fourth and one. You call a shotgun, a shotgun run, shotgun, uh, shotgun run play on fourth and one at the at the Miami Dolphins forty yard line. Up two scores. Why not either punt? Your you got especially and it's also especially egregious because of two things and the first one specifically, a la the the Broncos with Brandon McManus. You guys have Justin Tucker. On your team. So you would rather go for it on 4th and 1 at Miami's own 40-yard line when you're up two touchdowns, when you're up 14, instead of sending out Justin Tucker to kick a field goal heat that he, and he is the creme de la creme class league of his own when it comes to field goal kicking, especially long distance. You'd rather go for it then send out Tucker to kick a to kick a long but a very makeable field goal to put you guys up seventeen to, to make it a three store three score game instead of a two score game and then door num and then the other option is punt it and pin the Dolphins back deep. But if you didn't want to punt it, why not send Justin Tucker out there to kick his? I I I don't know off the top of my, off the top of my head how long the field goal would have been, but you'd rather go for it than take the points when you're in Tucker range and pass up the opportunity to make it a 17 point game. Made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. They go for it. They don't get it. What happens? And as soon as, as soon as the the uh, the Dolphins march down in five plays to t- to score a touchdown and bring the Dolphins within a t- with within a score, I said to myself, the Dolphins probably gonna win this game. That 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 them stopping the Ravens and then going down the field and scoring a touchdown right after the fact that that was gonna be the turning point of this game. And lo and behold, once you know it, it took five plays. You blank, and it's 35-28 Baltimore. Ravens get the ball back, and this is where, if you want to say the worst that Lamar Jackson played played all afternoon was this three-play, three-yard drive where they only took a minute and a second off the clock up a touchdown. 
They got the ball with 747 in the fourth quarter, thrown 25 yard line, and it was and it was one incom- it was an incomplete pass that they got lucky got bailed out off a defensive holding penalty that brought the ball to ball that brought that moved the ball up five yards to the 30 yard line, but then it was an incomplete. But then it was a uh, but then it was a run for a negative gain, an incomplete pass to Rashad Bateman, followed by an incomplete pass to Likely. And then you're looking at a four, and then you're looking at a fourth and twelve, taking only one minute off the clock, up a touchdown. When your defense had just allowed Miami to score on back-to-back drives. So if you want to put any blame, and I'm not saying he's free of blame, you can put the blame on him for the Ravens' bad drive, but that that they had late in the fourth quarter. But to me, the majority of this loss falls on the Ravens' defense collapsing. I mean, how in the hell do you allow your your corners not once, your, your, your secondary safety, how in the world do you allow not once but twice allow Tyree Kill to get 20 yards behind his man? How in the world do you allow that to happen? If you're the Baltimore Ravens and in the, in the, in the defensive coordinator that they have and, 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 you, and you're a member of that secondary. How in the world? And oh, by the way, where the hell was your damn pass rush? I mean, you guys had had little to no pass rush to speak of whatsoever. Tua got sacked only once. Got was barely barely was under duress in this game. Where's your pass rush? And your secondary got toasted. Throwing Harbaugh's asinine decision to go for it on fourth to one, and somehow, some way, allowing his team to get outscored, thirty-five to ten in the second half, and only putting the ball in the end zone once, and that was in the third quarter. Majority of this loss looked to the D coordinator, the Ravens' defense, and John Harbaugh. When you're going into halftime with a twenty-eight to seven lead. I understand you can't, if you're the offense, you can't necessarily get complacent and start screwing around with the game. But you'd figure being up 28-7 to heading into the half and at one point having a a 35-14 to lead would be suffice for your defense. Again, opportunity, two of them were there. Ravens two final offensive drives for them to bail out for them to bail out their defense. But when Lamar Jackson played his ass off as like he did on Sunday, and you went into half with a twenty-eight to seven lead, and in the third quarter in the back end of the third quarter, you were up thirty-five to fourteen. I can't go out there and crucify Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense for the defense wet in the bed. I'm sorry. 35 to 14 lead as a team that's trying to contend to win the AFC North and be a super, and be a and be a uh, dark horse Super Bowl contender that you know that not everybody's hot pick to go back you that that's unacceptable. I don't care if it's Tua behind Q, I don't care if it's Tua behind center or Dan Marino. You can't have that. You cannot have that. Two of six touchdowns against the Ravens. 
also tied Dan Marino and Bob Greasy for the most touchdowns in a game in Dolphins history. Also became the second youngest player since 1950 to throw for at least 450 passing yards and six touchdowns behind only Patrick Mahomes. We take a break. We'll get to the Cardinals and Raiders game. The Raiders collapse and the Cardinal comeback. This is the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. From one collapse and comeback to another, we go from Baltimore to Vegas in terms of the uh, madness that occurred week on a, a week two uh, on a uh, on a Sunday. We go to the Cardinals and the Raiders game, and the absolute just just madhouse it was at Allegiant uh, at Allegiant Allegiant. Uh, stadium over there in Vegas. Um, I I I was a couple things I want to get to as we go down. I will scratch the surface, give you my opinions, and I'll break this game down in greater fashion. First off, you got to give the Cardinals, and you got to give the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, and Cliff Kingsbury, who I am not, who those two, that combination, and those two individually, I'm not big fans of. Um, you got to give them tremendous credit. You know, they could easily say, you know what, heading into halftime down, down 20 to nothing after getting our asses kicked by Kansas City in our home slash season opener last week. You know what, 0-2, we stink. We go into, we face the AFC West first few games of the season. We can't win a damn thing. Seasons, not seasons over, but just accept the fact that they're going to have to dig themselves out of a, out of a hole. 0-2 to begin the season. We, you know, we'll see. And who, I don't even know who they play uh, next week off the top of my head. Okay, so they got they got the Rams. They could easily say, you know what, 20 to nothing at halftime. Back-to-back ass kickings. We'll see you week three, and we'll, when we take on the champs with the Rams, as if our schedule gets any easier. But you give Kyler Murray credit, you give Cliff Kingsbury credit, and you give the Cardinal defense credit, which held uh, which held the Raiders in th- in in two and a half quarters of second half play in the third quarter, fourth quarter, and of course in the overtime, they held the Raiders out of the end zone and only and 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 only held the Raiders to three points. 
So you give the Cardinal defense tremendous credit, who was a bit who were who was abysmal in a Kansas City game last week. They weren't that much better than in the second half on Sunday. And what they do went in out there, dirt off the shoulders like what the like what the Dolphins did, limit the mistakes, keep their opponents out of the end zone, capitalize on offense. The offense puts the ball in the end zone. The defense keeps their opponent out of the end zone. Had a had a sensational second half. Uh, only three points for the Raiders, and that was and that was a field goal in the third quarter. And you give Murray, you give Kings, you give uh, Cliff Kingsbury, and you give the Cardinals tremendous credit for fighting back and even up the season at one and one. And when it looked like heading into the half that their season would, that it would be a lost season for them, down twenty down uh, twenty to nothing at halftime, basically wrap this puppy up, turn off the you know turn off the lights the. Uh, the uh the what whatever the the parties the old uh, Don Meredith line he used to sing when he did Monday Night Football back in the day turn out the lights the party's over you know on the week three to get our asses kicked by the defending champs and the Rams and they did not do that and they held on tremendously well uh you know there's a couple of uh, moments that stuck out in the game that I wanted to highlight here. First off, uh, we and we'll and we can and I and he wasn't if it was the Hollywood Brown experience in the game. He had it incredibly. I still don't know how the hell he caught it going up against going up against the the bottom of the end zone and tightly and tightly covered somehow some way. I mean, it is as tight. I mean, he got caught on defensive pass interference, which makes it even more of an impressive catch. An incredibly hard catch that Brown had on the fourth and one. Uh, that kept Arizona, that kept Arizona in the game and and which let which he caught the ball got in bounds drew the defensive drew the uh, the uh, defensive pass interference penalty uh, after the play, after the play was over that put um that put um, Arizona in a position to uh to get to uh make it a 23-15 uh Vegas lead got the touchdown scored a two point conversion and uh, and that play I've seen it about like three about three five times you know how in the world the Raiders defense did not find a way I understand that the guy Kyler Murray's like 5'9 five, 5'10 five, run around in circles all over the place I mean, but my goodness gracious! I mean, eventually you got you have to. You, they could have gotten him down in the backfield, and they could have gotten him down when he ran when he ran the ball into the end zone. And the fact that they couldn't, I mean, I understand they were on the they were on the that play took a lot out of them. Is basically you know chasing around a chicken, you know chasing around a chicken on the farm. You know the way Kyler Murray is just able just to zigzag and run around in circles. And drive you crazy if you're an opposing defense. But the Raiders had to get Murray on that play. Two point conversion brought them within brought them within eight points uh, to make it a one possession game. And he goes and Kyle Murray runs and gets the two gets the two point conversion. Uh, and then, like I said, I mentioned with the Cardinals defense, especially the stop that they had on the Raiders possession, uh, a clutch defensive stop that they had that gave them the ball back with four with four forty four to go in the fourth quarter. Um, and then, and then, I mean, look at it this way from the, from the Raiders defensively, they gave up four fourth down conversions in the fourth quarter. Think, think about that four fourth down conversions in the fourth quarter, three, you say, what's the fourth one? The fourth one, the penalty 
in the end zone that gave Arizona a reset of downs inside the red zone. So they gave up they gave up three fourth down conversions. They allowed Arizona to convert on fourth down three times, and they had a penalty in which they st- which which negated a, which negated the play of them stopping Arizona in the end zone. And if the penalty hadn't been committed, it would have been turned over on downs, and Raiders would have won the game. Instead, they commit a penalty. Uh, Arizona keeps the ball, reset it downs, first and goal. They could not, not only could they not contain Kyler Murray, especially in the second half, they couldn't get off the field. You look at the Cardinals, their fourth down efficiency was three for five. Three for five on fourth down. You do the math. That is a 60% fourth down efficiency. If you want to include the penalty, which gave him new life, 80%. Raiders could not get off the field on fourth down. Somehow, some way, they allowed A.J. Green, my guy A.J. Green, to find a fountain of youth that have a couple of clutch catches, including the two-point conversion that tied the game up. Uh, at the end, at the end of regulation, and then Hollywood Brown somehow it's the Hollywood Brown experience. I mean, ask any Raven fan. One minute, one moment in time in the game, he looks like one of the best wide receivers in all of football. And then either it's the next week, it's the next week, the next game, the next drive, the next series, or or later in that game in another quarter. You need having to make a catch that hits him square in between the numbers, hits him right in the hands, wide open. You have to have it, and he and he drops it on fourth and one. The only fourth down the Cardinals didn't convert, not counting the penalty. The only one they didn't convert, and it should have and it should have costed them the game, except for the fact that Hunter Renfro had butterfingers. Fumbles the and and he had gotten and had gotten lucky because he had fumbled earlier in the drive and luckily for him at that moment in time his Raider teammates were able to bail him out gets the ball gets the ball again fumbles it fifty nine yard return Byron Murphy Jr. ends the game Cardinals win twenty nine twenty three and there is plenty of blame to go around from from the from the perspective. Of the Los Angeles Ra- of the Las Vegas Raiders, you can certainly blame Hunter Renfro. That was the coup de grace with the with the with his with the first fumble, which made you nervous, and then the second fumble that uh, that 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 en- that ended the game for you. You can blame him. You can blame the fact that the Vegas Raiders had no running game to speak of whatsoever, and only ran the ball. They only ran the ball uh, 20 times in the game. Josh Jacobs, 19 carries, 69 yards is not going to get the job done for you. Having the ball, you're, you, they're playing with the lead for the majority of the game. Derek Carter's throwing the football 39 times. And, you know, last week we say that, you know, he's depending too much on Devontae Adams because all he did was throw to him in a charge game. Well, this week, you turn around, he only throws, he targets Devontae Adams seven times, and he only ends up with two receptions. Derek Carr, it's been like it's been ever since he had that year that 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 I forget what it was either 2015 or 16. I believe it was 16. Ever since that year, he is what he is. He's all right. He's serviceable. He's not a scrub, 
But when the chips are down and games are there to be won and lost, he does not deliver the goods. There's a reason why he's never won a playoff game at this point in his career. And it's not like that he's a young player that's 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 you know that hasn't had the opportunity. Derek Carr cannot win you a Super Bowl. And when you're in that division loaded with Super Bowl contenders and you got the one quarterback that is not a Super Bowl winning caliber franchise quarterback, you're going to you're going to lose many games like you did on Sunday. On top of the fact that your defense absolutely uh crapped crapped itself and pissed down their leg somehow some way getting allowing uh somehow some way allowing um what uh twenty three yeah twenty three second half points when you had them twenty to nothing heading into the half completely inexcusable but what you see with Derek Carr is what you get good quarterback okay quarterback average at best quarterback. Is he the upper echelon of QBs, a la Herbert, Mahomes, Wilson, at least going off of his resume? The answer is no. The answer is no. You can blame, you can certainly blame Derek Carr, you can blame Hunter Renfro, and you can also blame Josh McDaniels. He, for one, and I knew, and I knew it as soon as he got hired, these, the Bill Belichick I mean, how many times do you have to go through this with the Belichick coaching tree? A good, ninety percent of them, you hire them, they don't work out. And Josh McDaniels, the most untrustworthy, sketchy one out of all of them, to the light, you know, since since the days of Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. I mean, really? You can't. You can't when a team is about to go into the abyss. Like the Cardinals were heading into halftime, and you allow your team to get absolutely punked, put up three points in the second half. You don't put the ball in the end zone. You can't work the clock uh, late in the fourth quarter, and you Hunter Renfro's fumbling the football left and right. And your defense can't get off the field four times on fourth down in the fourth quarter alone. Are you kidding me? The D coordinator too for the Raiders also. He's also to blame. He's also. Not innocent in this as well. Are you kidding me? A day to forget for the Vegas Raiders. We'll come back and do the compact recap and preview Steelers and Browns to close out the show. This is the I'm Tell I Can Tell You podcast. We welcome you back to the I'm Tell I Can Tell You podcast as we move ahead with our week two recap. But before I do, just to give you uh, stat right here regarding the last two previous uh, comeback segments with the Dolphins and the Cardinals. They are they bo- those two teams on Sunday both faced twenty point deficits at halftime. Came back to win it. That was the first time in NFL history that multiple teams had uh, had to overcome and did overcome a twenty point halftime deficit in the same day of NFL action, which I found to be pretty interesting. But we move ahead with some other uh, week two games, and that was with the and we'll start with the Bucks and the Saints, an absolute defensive slugfest that was, where both teams uh, were only were only able to manage a field goal one per side. 
through the first three quarters of the game. Halftime score was a 3 nothing New Orleans. A first quarter field goal was the only uh, scoring that uh, that both teams were able to muster in the first half. Um, it's just an absolute defensive slugfest on those two teams. With both those two teams both have very solid, good, talented defenses all around. Uh, those two teams always play each other hard. Remember, they also had a they also uh, and I'll look up the score of that game in a minute. But those two teams also played on that Sunday night, if you remember correctly. Uh, down in Tampa, which was a defensive slugfest, where I believe both teams failed to score a, where uh, both teams failed to score a touchdown uh, in that game. I'll pull up the score for you here in a minute. Um, but those two teams always play each other hard. Uh, it was a, it was week. Fi- let me see. Let me see. Let me see. It was week fifteen when the Saints won by the, won three field goals by the final score of nine nothing. So effect. So the last two games have been defensive slugfests, where it's been all, where it's been majority field goals and very few opportunities for both the offenses to put the ball in the end zone. Uh, you know, Brady scored. You know, did just enough to win. He had a he had a his best throw of the afternoon was a touchdown pass to Perriman in the top right hand uh, corner of the end zone. But he did not have a solid afternoon. Eighteen of thirty four, hundred and eighty passing yards. Uh, touchdown pass, of course, the Perriman as well. They did not run the ball tremendously well. Leonard Fournette only 24 carries, 65 yards on the ground, and just an absolute defensive slugfest. Get to Jameis Winston in a minute. Um, but the thing that I take from the Bucks and for well, the thing I'll say about Brady, and it's been a lot of talk and a lot of uh, noise about Brady too old to be kicking and screaming and throwing crap on the sidelines and you know, this is where this is where I come. This is where my school of thought is, and I did, and you know, and I have in the history of this show, in all full transparency, have in the past killed Tom Brady when he's acted, you know, when he when he's act when his unbecoming actions, whether it's not shaking, um, whether it's not shaking um, Jared Goff's hand when they lost to the Rams in, in that Monday night in uh, back in uh, back in two thousand and twenty. Whether it's him not being full transparency and not having full transparency of uh, not knowing what down it was and not shaking Nick Foles' hand and on the Thursday night game in Chicago that same season in twenty in twenty twenty, so you know so so you know he has not, he's had his moments where he uh, where you know where he comes off as a petulant child and where you know where Brady, you know, he acts 40, he's, he's 45 going on, uh, 45 going on, uh, going on, uh, 15. But when it comes to him throwing it, but when it comes to him throwing the tablets and throwing the Microsoft Surface tablets on the ground, you know, all, all on the sideline on the ground and throwing his helmet left to right and yelling and cussing and screaming at the, uh, yelling and cussing and screaming, uh, at the refs and at opposing players and that. I got no pro- I got no problem with that. No problem with that. No problem with it whatsoever. My philosophy my philosophy is this. I like it when prof- you know you may be you may be different, but that's what separates you but this is what separates uh, what separates you you from me is called originality. Uh I don't mind it and I actually prefer it. When a professional athlete goes out there, they show raw motion, they kick, they they kick, they yell and scream, 
they they're, they're throwing and they're throwing equipment all over the place. They're breaking things. They're cussing and screaming. They're upset. They're bent out of shape. They're screaming. Uh, I, they're raising hell. I like it when a professional athlete does that. I like it. Now, in times in the past, has it bothered me when Brady does it? Yeah, during the years, you know, when I couldn't stand Tom Brady. Now, you know, now, now, you know, he doesn't bother me, and I don't hate him as much as much as I used to in the past. But I don't hate him at all. But you know, he doesn't bother me as much as he used as much as he used to in the past. I got no problem. If Brady wants to throw a Microsoft Service tablet, if he wants to yell and 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 and, and, and cuss and scream and 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 and, and just verbally undress his teammates up and down uh over over you know a, a, a bad you know not running the right route correctly not paying attention i'm all for that he wants to raise hell on the sidelines because because they can't put the ball in the end zone i got absolutely zero issues with that have at it god bless him no no problems I also have no problems if any if any other white athlete does it, if any other black athlete does it, if if uh, if if Cam Newton were to do the same thing or Joe Burrow or Lamar Lamar perfect for a example Lamar Jackson on Sunday they fizzle out they have that bad drive that sets up uh, that sets up uh, uh, the Dolphins to go downfield tie the game he wants to throw his helmet on the sideline kick a scream no issues whatsoever. No issues whatsoever. He's a professional athlete. He's frustrated. He wants to win. For me personally, that shows me that you care. A professional athlete going out there and kicking and screaming and and having, uh, I don't, I won't call them temper tantrums, but but exercising their frustration during a game. I got zero issues with that whatsoever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. What sports you play. Uh, the position you play, if you play a team sport, doesn't matter. Want to throw towels? Get, uh, get, want, want to, if you're a baseball player, take a bat to a Gatorade bucket, chuck it down the runway, uh, uh, break your bat over your knee, whatever. I got zero issues with it whatsoever. Because to me, as a longtime sports fan, it shows to me that you care. It shows me that although you do this for a living and win or lose, win or lose, you're still going to get paid at the end of the day. It shows me though that you care. It shows me that you want to win. It shows me that you, that you want to do well for the team that you play for. You want to give your fans, people that cheer you on, you want to give them your best effort. It shows me that you care. And if I'm a Buck fan, I got I would have zero issues. Brady can break and throw as many tablets as he wants to the freaking cows. Come on, makes no no. It does not bother me one way or the other. Him breaking a bunch of Microsoft Surface tablets ain't no skin off my ass and ain't no money out of out out of my out of my bank account. So he wants to do it. He can do he can do it till he, till he, till he's good and happy and satisfied. What the problem exists is the double standard, where it's okay for Brady to do it, and if somebody else does it, they get read the riot act and get called unprofessional and unbecoming. No, 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 no. Either be all, either be you hate seeing everybody do it. You're for, you're not for. You don't want anybody doing it, or the latter. You don't want anybody kicking and screaming, throwing fits, 
or you don't mind if everybody kicking screams with throws fits. People sit up here bitching on about Serena all the time. Well, and I heard it a lot, you know, when hearing people calling the sports talk radio and the internet and that the other when she had her swung song at the U.S. Open of the, at the beginning of the month back into August. Well, Serena, you know, I don't like it. Unprofessional than any other. She kicks and screams with the rackets and the cussing and the bad bullcrap. Okay. Bullcrap. She's a professional athlete. You're in that arena. You're not gonna. You're not gonna act in the arena of competition like you would in front of your mother at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Okay. You know. You're not gonna. Tom Brady's not gonna. Tom Brady is not gonna kick and scream and throw fits when he's. When, you know. When he. When he's. When he's. When he's having Christmas dinner with 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 his parents. In front of his young children, he's not. He's not. He's not going to do that. Serena Williams is not going to kick and scream and throw rackets all over the place with with Alexa with Alexis in the room while they you know while they're having their milk and cookies before bedtime. And then come on, the people that know how to control their emotions and understand the time and the place, they're not going to act out in um in moments and in. And uh, in lo- and at certain in certain locations in certain environments where they know it's socially unacceptable, when they're in the arena of competing and trying to win, and try to and and trying to add on to their resume of greatness, or trying to become great, in in the moment of playing of playing a tennis match or playing a football game or playing a baseball, I got zero issues with it. Cuss, scream, throw crap to the cows, come home. As long as you don't hurt anybody, I got no issues. Shows me that you care. Shows me that you care. The problem is, is the inconsistency. You can't not have you. You can't say oh, it's passion, enthusiasm for Tom Brady, and then go and then and then scream and yell from the heavens when when Serena's breaking tennis rackets. No, no, no. It's it's the same thing, same treatment, both sides all the way around. If Brady wants to throw Microsoft Surface tablets till till they're down to the last one on the sidelines, fine. And if Serena during her playing days, funny, it's weird to say that now. But you know, in previous years, she wants to break. If she wants to smash rackets, you know, in in between in between uh, games, in between sets, uh, you know, cuss and yell at herself for screwing up and 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 for and for blowing a game or blowing a set. No problems with it whatsoever. They're athletes. They're competitors. They're wired. They're they're. Their chem, their 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 chemi- their brain chemical makeup is different than the average Joe that works a nine to five, that you know whose highest level of competitive sports was little league. They're wired different than the rest of us are. This to them is is a matter of life and death to them, and they get paid to do it, but they want to win. So I found that the whole Brady argument with him breaking and throwing crap. To be completely overrated, you know. Come on, he he said he he set up he sat up here and 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 is possibly not possibly he's risking his marriage for this. And if all of that, amongst the fact that his team can't put the ball in the end zone, uh, you know, can't put the ball in the end zone worth a damn, then you know, so be it. He's human, guys.
He's human. And his thoughts on the Mike Evans suspension for the little brawl that broke out with Lattimore. Um, saying, quote, I don't think it deserved any type of suspension. I think that's ridiculous. Hopefully we can move past it and get to a better place. Listen, Tom, when he, now you kind of, you you know, you were kind of, the you kind of gaslighted the, the, the fire to a certain extent yourself. But, you know, the NFL is not going to have a guy basically ignite a fight and, uh, you know, not have you ignite a fight and then you turn the other cheek and not suspend him. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just now, mate. Now maybe he was just extending his teammate, but or excuse me, protecting his teammate. But uh, but you know, one one game in my eyes is not that big of a deal. I mean, they, certain rules you're gonna certain rules that you break. You know, you know, right with righteous indignation. Sometimes you're going to have to, you know, you, you swallow your pride and you, and you just, you know, you take your consequence, you take your suspension just because, you know, you broke a rule that you were justified in breaking. You take it, you take your lumps, you move on, on to week four. And if and, and, and if anyone with the Tempe Buccaneer locker room, that's the way you got to look at it. Can't fight, can't negotiate, you know, can't ignite fights, all this sort of, sort of stuff. You do it, even, even if you're justified. You, you know, you're going to get punishment. You get suspended one game. Not the, I understand that the Bucks' offense, you know, scored 19 points week one against Dallas and then 20 points. had to work to score the 20 points against, uh, against uh, you know, against um, uh, New Orleans. I buy it. And I put the ball in the end zone once in a game uh, in the Superdome on Sunday. I grant you that. And, and with no Chris Godwin and Gronk is not coming out of retirement anytime soon, I understand they need all the help they can get. But you know, sometimes you just gotta bite the bullet and uh, and and keep on moving with the next man up mentality. A uh, couple things with Jameis Winston I took from it. Uh, he threw the ball I think very well. You know, and I heard I you heard rumblings. You know that he was playing with some with some fractures in his back before the game started. Threw the ball very well. Tremendous arm strength. This that and the other. Um, uh, he should have ran for the, there's a couple uh, nick uh, knickknacks I have with Jameis. He should have ran for the first down on the third and four with 350 left in the second quarter. I uh, was very fortunate that the Saints were able to hop on it and to be able to retain possession. Great play by Dean on the interception in the back of the end zone. Uh, you know, just a great play by him. That's a 50-50 ball. Dean made the better play for that. The other two interceptions though were 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 very were just not were. Terrible, a horrendous throw in the second interception. Said so never threw it to uh, Edwards' direction, and then the third one on the pick six, he gets easily fooled by the cover one robber uh, defense. Uh, the cover one robber uh, um, uh, defense that the Bucks uh, called on that play. He gets fooled easily, thinking that the safety is going to be up high. Instead, he creeps down low and sits tight. Reads Jameis like like a book. And he gets the pick six that essentially puts the game away. A lot of over. Th- I like his arm strength. So the way the ball came out of his hands, well, just that action alone. But he had a lot of over. He, a lot of overthrows. A lot of uh, misfires, incomplete passes to go around 25 for 40 to be specific. Three interceptions. Got sacked six times. Tampa Bay uh, defensive front was beasting and feasting on him all game long. You go to the uh, Jets and the Browns. Uh, a couple of th- with a couple of things I want to say about that game. 
Uh, first off, I love the uh, the decision by Robert Sala to for the fake punt on the fourth and one with one thirty four in the first quarter, down seven nothing. I love that decision. Now it's a damn shame that they couldn't do anything with it, but it, it, I love that play. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Send a message, you know. He came after the media leading up to this Cleveland game. He put his money where his mouth is. Took some chances that you know what we're going to make some things happen in the game. Love the love that fourth and one punt. Give a solid credit for uh, for 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 drawing that one up. And with the Cleveland and with the and give Joe Flacco credit. I mean, is this 2022 or 2012? 26 of 44, 307 passing yards, four touchdowns. Zero interceptions. A damn, damn good night or afternoon, I should say, at the office for Joe Flacco. Turn the clock back 10, 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 years. Wilson had a hell of an afternoon, two eight receptions, 102 yards, two touchdown catches on 14th August. The thing that I want to say about the Browns that I want to really that I really want to drive home here is this. And I understand Nick Chubb today. You know, met, he didn't meet the media after the game, but he took. But he met. Uh, he met with the media today, taking responsibility, and essentially taking the blame and the blame of uh, Cleveland's loss on him. Uh, the you know on him scoring the touchdown, which put at that moment in time, which put the uh, Cleveland Browns up by the score of. Uh, 30 to that put Cleveland up by the final score of 30 to 17. I understand that he, you know, was the he he, he was the adult in the room and took and and, to, and he did it to take the heat off of the uh, off of Stefanski and the Brown and the Browns of defense and the Browns defense and the and their defensive coaching staff. But the bottom line is anybody who watched that game objectively and looked at it fairly, even if you are a Cleveland Browns fan, you know good and damn well that you did not lose that game because Nick Chubb Scott decided to score a touchdown to make it uh th- to make it thirty seventeen with uh, with 155 to go in the fourth quarter. Anybody who sat there and watched that game knew and knows that the, that, that loss is not on Nick Chubb scoring a touchdown. It is, I'm sorry, it's just not. You, you can sit there and say, well, you know, he stay, stay in bounds, don't score, don't score this, and, you know, and, you know, fought around and worked the clock and manipulate the gestures with the time. Okay, so what happens if, uh, you know, what happens, you know, they hand the ball off and it's a fumble snap, and the Jets recover. Jets recover, and you're up a touch, and you're up a less than a. You're up by uh, what would it have been? A twenty-four seven. You're up twenty-four seventeen. Touchdown, extra point, ties the game. Touchdown, two point conversion, wins it inside two minutes. Then what? You fumbled. You fumbled a snap. You fumbled a snap. Then what? Jets marched down the field 99 yards to tie the game up and or uh, take the lead. Well, how, how can you let that happen? Getting cute with the clock and trying to manipulate it and trying to melt two minutes of clock time left when uh, when you got when you have the short field. Why? Take your points up 30-17 and hope your defense is able to get off the field. If anything, I blame Kareem Hunt for not for getting out of bounds and stopping the clock many a times during during that same final drive. 
If anything, I'm blaming Kareem Hunt for getting out of bounds once, twice, three, four, five times, multiple times before the two-minute warning even came into effect. I'm blaming him, if anybody, for stopping the clock. You can get your yards and keep on moving out of the field, getting first downs, but why are you stopping the clock? Kareem Hunt stopping the clock. So if you're going to blame any running back for Cleveland, blame him for running out of bounds. Now, some I understand a couple times he couldn't help it because he was, you know, running down the sideline and he was getting tagged and he got tackled out of bounds. But still, stay away from the sidelines in that situation. If you're going to blame anybody, blame him. You can also blame Cade York for missing a gimme. Extra point that would have put Cleveland up 31-17. 31-17. They're up 14 points. Not 13. They're up 14. Kate York makes the extra point. Browns need two touchdowns and two made extra points just to tie the game up. Rather than the 13 points, touchdown by itself brings them within seven. But you have the two touchdowns, two made extra points, you take the lead. Furthermore, the self-destruction of the Browns defense. How in the world do you allow back-to-back drives... The Jets on the first time two plays 75 yards, and then the second drive, nine plays 53 yards to take the lead. When you held the Jets scoreless in the third quarter and had a 30 to and had and were sitting on a 30 to 17 lead. And in, and in their and every single one of their second half possessions leading up to those two scoring drives that Flacco uh, orchestrated, they they punted in the second half one, or excuse me, they they punted in the second half one, two, three times. Two of them back to back. After you know after they had after they kicked the field goal. And then you can also blame the Browns' hands team for the onside kick. How 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 in the world do you not recover that onside kick? It, it is damn near impossible for the kicking team to recover it these days. And it's like the it's like the the Jets couldn't have drew it up any better. It's like they couldn't have drew it up any better. So you can go many a ways for blame for why the Browns lost. But you damn sure better not blame Nick Chubb for scoring a touchdown. You better look to you better look to Kareem Hunt for stopping the clock multiple times. You you better look for Cade York, who was the hero in week one, was the GOAT, and I ain't talking greatest of all time, week two, missing the missing the gimme extra point. The self-destruction of the Browns defense when they had held, uh, when they had held the the Jets the entire second half to them to 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 only three points, 
And you can also blame the Browns' hands team for not recovering the onside kick. Think about it. One, think about it. Three other things had to happen in order for the Browns to lose this game. After the Kareem, after the Nick Chubb touchdown. York missing a PAT, the self-destruction of the Browns' defense, twice back-to-back drives, and the hands team not recovering the onside kick. If the hands team just by itself... If the Browns' hands team recovers the onside kick, we're not even having this discussion right now. So I understand Nick Chubb did it, you know, for the good of the locker room and, and to take the and to be, you know, a leader and to be the clubhouse guy. But either he needs, but either someone within his circle has told him this, he was lying through his teeth for the sake of the, for the sake of the locker room, or what. But we all know good and well. We sat there and watched that game. You know, good and well, Nick Chubb was not the reason why the Browns blew blew that game, blew a thirty to blew a thirty thirty to seventeen lead late in the fourth quarter with less than two minutes left. Everybody and mother knows if you if you're paying attention, it wasn't Nick Chubb's fault. What's he what's he supposed to do? Go out of bounds, stop the clock, or fall at the one yard line? The next, you know, we got to play games and, and and risk a botch snap or a fumble that goes the other way. Then the game's tied. Two touchdown lead, less than two minutes left. The stats say that you're basically home free. I am not, I'm not blaming Chubb. I'm blaming the defense. I'm blaming York for missing the extra point. And I'm blaming the hands team for being terrible on the onside kick. Not Nick Chubb's fault. They somehow somehow blew a, blew a, blew a two touchdown lead with less than two minutes to go in the game. That 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 is I don't care if Deshaun Watson on the team or not. That is completely inexcusable. Completely inexcusable. Speaking of inexcusable, the Colts stink. They they can't they can't anything on offense. For those of you that somehow somehow your deluded mind thought that. Matt Ryan is going to sniff the Hall of Fame. Why you would think that I have absolutely no clue. Uh, you can put that at the bed right now. He looks washed, old, just disgusting to watch. The Colts' offense is offensive. Goose egg throughout the entire game. Jaguars give them credit, who currently, believe it or not, is sitting in first place in that god-awful AFC South. Lawrence, 25-30, 235, two touchdown passes in the game. Tremendous job. We give the Jags uh, their flowers. Uh, and then we get to the uh, Monday night games, which the two were not good games, by the way. The the overlap I liked, I uh, over overlapped I like. Only I wish the I the only thing I wish is that the games were better. Uh, I'll do Buffalo first, then I get to the I'll do Buffalo throw in a little thing with the Titans, and then and then get to the Eagles, and then get to the Steelers and Browns to, as we say goodbye. Um, with the with the with the Buffalo Bills. They're they're the best team in football. The Buffalo Bills, ladies and gentlemen, are the best team in the National Football League. Hands down, bar none, without even breaking down. You don't have to break down film, none of that. They are the best team in the National Football League, head and shoulders above everybody else. They're head and shoulders above everybody in the NFC, and they're head and shoulders above everybody in the AFC. Don't and don't sit up and say Kansas City. Okay, the the Cardinals are not going to. The Cardinals are not that good. Their week two comeback against the Raiders, 
you know, uh, set to the side. And and had it not been for Asante Samuel Jr. dropping every interception that hit him within his mitts, and had it not been, and if it was the Chiefs like the Browns that would have botched the onside kick with the hand seam, they'd be sitting at one and one. Kansas City is a it was one week one I grant you week two where they struggled offensively and Mahomes could have had about like four or five interceptions in the game. I mean, come on, let's. Kansas City is not is they they are a they they're two and zero in spite of they're that in spite of team in spite of this yet their record says they're two and zero. Can't the Buffalo Bills are not two and zero in spite of anything? The Buffalo Bills are two and zero because of that damn good and they've been and they're going up and down their schedule with every single game every single week kicking ass and taking names. That's what the Bills are doing. Week one against the defending champs in their own building, banner raiser night, no problem, 31-10. Last season's number one seed against Tennessee, who, who's given them trouble in the past, 41-7 without even blinking an eye. They go down south to Miami. Now they got now they got they got a look they got a test. My God, boy, do they have a test. Now they'll be ready. They'll be ready for this test. But boy, oh boy. I tell you something. If Buffalo is sitting at one, is sitting at three, four, five, six, uh, seven and zero, oh, heading into the month of November when they play the Jets. If they're head, if by the time they head into November and they're seven and zero, oh, I'm gonna tell you something right now. And I killed people jumping on the Bills bandwagon than the other. No wonder why. No wonder why everybody and their mother jumped on the bandwagon. They may act, they 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 at least first two games are that damn good. They that they are that damn good. They are that damn talented. They are that damn well coached. I mean, they are an impressive, feisty, hungry football team. And their schedule. Maybe the Steelers game notwithstanding, but the majority of their schedule from the back from the last game in September against uh, Miami through uh, through October when they play uh, when they host the Packers on Sunday night gauntlet. Miami impressive two and O team that's that's got a little feistiness with them. They got on Sunday, then they come down here. To Baltimore to play the Ravens. Somehow this way that game is not in a four twenty five game or a primetime game. I'll never understand. Uh on October second. We'll see how how Pittsburgh is come October the ninth. Uh but then right after that, scene of the crime one more time. Four twenty five against Kansas City in Kansas City on October the sixteenth. And then a week after that they come back home to host the Packers on Sunday night. But the back end of their schedule is uh, is not that bad. And when I mean the back end, I mean the I mean from Thanksgiving against Detroit onwards. Thanksgiving against from Thanksgiving against Detroit, uh, New England, the Jets, Dolphins, the Bears, Bengals. Back end of the schedule is not that bad. It's the meat potatoes in between this week 
and the Packer game on October thirtieth is where uh, it is where it gets uh, is where it gets a little rough for the Bills, where it gets where it gets a little challenging. They walk out of that, you know, with a six and one, seven and zero record. Look out! Look out! My goodness gracious! But they are they are so good. I mean, my and I and I've told you guys this for the last few seasons. I'll say it again. There, they these two guys are arguably. They're definitely one of, and you can even make the argument they're 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 the best. And I understand Burrow and Chase and Stafford and Cup. These guys arguably are the best quarterback wide receiver combination in all of football with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. I mean, my goodness gracious. Twelve catches, hundred and forty eight receiving yards, three touchdown catches for Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, twenty six thirty eight, four touchdown passes four touchdown passes, three hundred and seventy three hundred and seventeen passing yards. I mean, who the hell's who the hell's gonna beat that? Von Miller, all the difference in the world on defense. Who the hell's gonna beat that? Speaking of beat, the the Titans are finished. They're the they are the only AFC uh, playoff team from last year, not named the Cincinnati Bengals. Who look worse at 0-2 right now? They Randy Bullock with shanked the field goal in a game that 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 they that they really should have won against the Giants at home week one, and it was close for the first quarter, and then that was it. I mean, ju- this an absolute annihilation for the other th- in the other three quarters. The tit- the Titans are done. They're done. They're dead. They're finished. Blow up the team. Get Malik Willis in there. And time to say goodbye to Ryan Tannehill. I mean, 11 of 20, 117 passing yards, two interceptions, got sacked twice. I mean, just an awful, awful, awful performance for him. I mean, you know, he, Ryan Tannehill is that quarterback that falls into that, into that, uh, that falls into that category. That bad, that bad quarterback that improves a little bit, has a career, has about a couple few career years that doesn't exactly. Uh, take his team over the top, and then eventually, you know, the best that you see, the peak of his career, already in the rearview mirror, and then it's the humbling, crashing right back down to earth to where he was when he be, when he came into the league with the Miami Dolphins. That's what you're getting with Ryan Tannehill right now. And at this point, 0-2, and you have, as you look at the schedule here, with Vegas next week, now it's now now the only thing that would probably would keep the Titans from punting on the season is that the is that the division is so damn terrible. But I mean, I tell you something right now, this schedule from November the sixth to December fourth is not a pretty sight. Chiefs, Broncos, Packers, Bengals. Eagles. Yeesh. And give the Bills defense credit too. Derrick Henry on the ground. 13 carries, 25 yards. Nine yards as long as carry. 
And Derrick Henry last couple seasons had his way with the Buffalo Bills, and they just completely took him out of the game. Tremendous credit. And we go to the Eagles, who also had a very impressive uh, had a very impressive uh, Monday night themselves. Uh, how about how about uh, 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 um, the hell is his name? Jalen Hurts. I forgot his first name for a second. Jalen Hurts, twenty six for thirty one. 333 passing yards, one touchdown, the bad interception in his own territory. Got sacked three times, which you don't like, but 26-31, 333, one touchdown pass, and ran for two touchdowns on the ground, 11 carries for 57 yards. A sensational night at the office for him. He not he wasn't perfect like like he wasn't perfect, damn near perfect like Allen was. But he 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 put on a, he had his himself a little nice Monday night showcase for the masses as well. Sensational uh, sensational job by him. You can tell the, the his work ethic is off the charts. The amount of work that he put in during the off season has just is exponential. You can tell that you know he did not want he did not want to repeat performance off of that horrendous uh, playoff debut he had against the Bucks in Tampa back in January. He's put in the work. I understand it's only two games, but so far the uh, and you don't want to put him in the Hall of Fame per se. But his his uh, the job that he and the Eagles' offense has done uh, in the first two games of the season would leave you feeling very, very, very impressed. And a wide open NFC, wide open. It it is the it is the Eagles' conference to win just as much as it is the Packers, just as much as it is the Bucks, just as much as it is the Rams. Wide open NFC. Wide open. And on the Vikings sort of things, they weren't playing the Bears and it's Monday night. Monday night football plus Kirk Cousins not playing the Bears equals a loss and a horrendous uh, Monday night football performance yet again. 27-46, 221, one touchdown pass, three interceptions. Kirk Cousins on Monday night football, no bueno. No bueno. Good, se- he's. I think he'll have a good season this year, and I do think the Vikings will have a productive year this year. Having said all that, with Kirk Cousins at this point in time, in this stage in his career, and it's always has been, always will be. He is not going to be the quarterback that when the lights shine the brightest in the primetime games in the regular season, and more often than not in the playoffs, he's not going to deliver and bring home the bacon. He just doesn't. He, you know what he is? He's a rich man's Andy Dalton with one playoff win. That's what Kirk Cousins is. That's what Kirk Cousins is. And as for the Eagles, it's only two games, but wouldn't surprise me if they, you know, are in Green Bay, Tampa, or in L.A. in the NFC Championship game. And you, and you get that, and you see why I we see Brenton. Brenton was like, I'm not high on the my buddy Brennan, who we haven't had on a long time, listens to the show. Yeah, you're high on the Eagles. Why are you why are you so high on the Eagles? You know the Jalen Hurts. You see this offense. You you see this offense. You see you see, you see just the, the work ethic and the talent, the work ethic that Hurts exercises, and then the talent you see out there on the field. That's why I picked the Eagles to win the division, Brendan. My, that's just, after that performance, wasn't perfect, 
But after that performance, my goodness gracious. The poll question and Q&A of the episode. The Q&A question is, who is the most surprising 2-0 team and why? Who is the most surprising 2-0 team and why? Give the team and explain why in the comment box. And the poll question of the episode is, is the Bengals season over? Yes or no? Is the Bengals season over? Yes or no? And who's the most surprising 2-0 team and why? The poll question and Q&A of the episode available exclusively on the Amitelakitiyas podcast channel page on your on Spotify.com and on the Spotify app. You look ahead to Thursday night with the Steelers and the Browns. Um, I think, uh, oh wait, let me give you this Bills stat first. Since Stephon Diggs joined the Bills in 2020, he and Josh Allen have connected for 10 touchdowns in primetime games. That's the most of any quarterback-wide receiver duo in that span. Just one. Now we get to the Thursday night game. Um, I think this game, you know, this game looks like it may have, you know, 17-10, uh, 21. T- first to score 17 points or more first will probably win the game. Uh, this ha- this has to make us be an absolute defensive slugfest. Uh, you got uh, you got Aaron, you have uh, Jacoby Brissett versus uh, Mitch Trubisky, who did not play well uh, in their in their loss against the Patriots. They were just uh, they they were just they weren't good whatsoever. Um, uh, and and I understand you know Matt Canada and um, and Mike Tomlin have got to open up the playbook and have got to show a little bit of. Uh, of uh, de facto trust in him to say, look, we at least tr- we gotta trust, we gotta put you in a position where we, we don't, uh, where we where we can't, you know, where we trust you to at least try to make plays downfield uh, with your arm and to make play into and, uh, and to win games here for us. And so far, they they have not done that. And if Mitch Trubisky, uh, uh, and if Mitch Trubisky puts together these um, puts together these stinker. Uh, puts together these stinker uh, performances, uh, one after the other. Is this uh, Steeler fans going to be going to be going to be shouting from the rooftops uh, in Yenzerland for um, for Kenny Pickett? But I think this game has the makings to be a defensive slugfest all day. Remember, as I mentioned earlier in the segment, the uh, the the, uh, the Browns held the Jets to 17 points. Uh, had held the Justice 17 points and held them scoreless in the second half. Uh, so I, so I would not, so I, so expect to be. And then of course the Mac Jones and Patriots offense also had problems uh, putting the ball in the end zone, scoring points as well. Uh, the, and every single game that the Steelers have played this season have been uh, have been close. The first two games, Cincinnati, of course, went in overtime, decided by field goal was a primarily defensive uh, game. And of course, their win, their excuse me, their loss against the Patriots last week was a defensive slugfest itself. Uh, and in Cleve, and in Cleveland, of course, you know, uh, it's got a good defense as well. Throwing the series with the bad offense and bad offensive play calling could be in for a snoozer. That that will be a battle of attrition coming up for you uh, on Thursday night. But it should be a, a interesting game. Uh, both teams sitting at 1-1. One and one. Uh, for, Winner gets the 2-1 season. Loser uh, goes below, you know, has a record below 500 for the first time this season. Uh, Trubisky versus Brissett. It's not Roethlisberger versus uh, 
versus Watson or Roethlisberger versus May versus 2020 Bacon Mayfield, but we should be in for a uh, interesting game uh, to to uh, to say the least. And also with uh, Miles Garrett, also wanted to uh, to uh, address uh, him as well. He early he uh, let me see if I can find him. See if I can find it. Uh, injury. He did not practice on Tuesday. It showed up with an injury report. Um, with a neck injury, Jadavion Clowney has already been ruled out, so keep an eye uh, on that uh, as well. But that is your week to recap and another episode of the M. Tucker podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please not hes- hesitate excuse me, to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter, Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatelonscore. It's yeah, is in the show on uh, Instagram at Amatelonscore Podcast. It is your boy Jay Shields. I will talk to you Friday to talk many of things within the world of sports and a preview week three. You guys have a good one. Take care.